Well, join me on Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Uh, just thankful for uh, the Lord, and of course, I'm thankful for all that He's done for us. And I just thank the uh, God that He has just given us such, uh, just, just such a wonderful word. I thank God for the Bible, that we can trust it, that it is infallible, it is inerrant, and we can just come to it tonight and with a, just a breath of fresh air and be renewed, restored here in the middle of a week. And oftentimes, this time of day, many, how many of you are ready for, for bed right about now? Amen. You're here because you love the Lord. Amen. Uh, and so we're thankful for that. And trust me, I'm with you on that. I'm early to bed, and so I'll, I, I appreciate you being here. And so I'll do my best not to uh, put you to bed early, all right? So Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, we want to look tonight at a guided walk, and we want our lives to be guided by the truth. And I remember as a kid, we took a trip down to Carlsbad uh, Caverns in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Anybody ever been there? Isn't it incredible, the massive size of, of the caverns? And just I remember as a kid just being floored, and I was having some technical difficulties. If I remember right, we had an uh, audio uh, guide, and that audio guide you put in your head, and you'd get to walk through the caverns or in different areas, and that guide would click as it went through the little sensors, and it was supposed to start the next thing, and it would tell you about the different formations and what they were called. And somewhere along the way, I got to fidgeting with mine, and I messed it up. And so the whole time my guide was off. And so he, I'd be standing there looking at one thing and it was talking about something on the opposite side of the cavern. It was a terrible experience. I had a, just, it was awful. I didn't know where I was or what I was even looking at. And so I just started meandering around because I was bored. And so, you know, having a guide helps us in life. And, you know, we want this, we want a guide, you know, except unless you're a man, then you're like, I don't need instructions and I don't need to stop for directions. Amen. Okay. All right. I guess that's in a bygone era. You know, we have Siri now, and sometimes, and I don't know about anyone else, I don't want two women telling me how to get somewhere. So I turned off Siri because I love my wife, and her voice is much better. So, you know, when it comes to being having directions, I don't, I don't want two people to, t to tell me, because she's over there telling me, well, you need to go this way, and Siri's telling me something else. And so finally I just got tired of Siri, and I said, would you be quiet? I'm going to listen to her. You know, we, we want a guide in our life at times. And sometimes we don't want any kind of guides. We just want to figure it out on our own, you know. And, but I thank the Lord for, for Paul as he writes this in Philippians chapter 3 because as we, we are reminded that Paul opens this segment of the epistle with a warning about false teachers. And he, he says, listen, watch out for Judaizers. Watch out for these people that are bringing in false doctrine. And let me say that this was not uh, just for Paul's era. Today, apostasy runs rampant in churches. And we must realize that God wants us to know what God, His Word says. And so, thank the Lord that you're here on a Wednesday. You're, you're saying, uh, Sister Walthina, when she comes on Wednesday, she says, I just love Wednesday messages. She said, they're always for me. I feel like you just preach them right for me. And so, I thank the Lord for our church that's been faithful, that's growing together. And you know uh, how vital it is that we continue steadfastly together in the Word of God. Every day we need, we need His Word to guide us, to grow us, so that we can make sure that we are clothed with, uh, with righteousness, that we're making sure that we walk with Him. And so as Paul writes to this church in Philippi, he wants them to just look closely at some examples. He wants them to look closely at having a walk that is right, and as such, if he wants them to have a guided walk in their life so they can walk with Jesus Christ. And so let's look here as we see verses 13, 17 through 21 together tonight. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which 
Walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able, even to subdue all things unto Himself. And so let's pray together as we begin our message tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the preaching of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that there is power in preaching today, uh, even in a day and an age where people uh, are... I have itching ears. I thank the Lord that, God, we can still continue to proclaim truth to this generation. And so help us to be found faithful. Help us, Lord, to be uh, guided in our walk, guided by those that are, have gone before, guided, Lord, by your hand, and, Lord, guided by what lies ahead. We thank you and we praise you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. As we look here in, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, we see that Paul really gives us some, uh, some just encouragement, some guides here. He says, listen, there are three things that we need to have our life uh, to be guided by if we're going to walk with him. And the very first thing he mentions here is to uh, follow after those who are faithful. I'm thankful for those who have been faithful. Throughout the scripture, matter of fact, and we see that God teaches us that there have been faithful men through the past. I want to go all the way back to Genesis, and in Genesis there was Noah. In an age of, of great apostasy and sinfulness, there was Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it was Noah who was faithful for 120 years to preach the gospel, to build an ark, to prepare for a, a flood he'd never even heard of, nor even seen rain. And so Noah was a faithful example for us today. Then there was Abraham. Abraham, who faithfully followed the Lord to find a land he'd never even seen. He was called out of his homeland with, his, with his, the people that he loved dearly. I tell you, I can sympathize with Abraham. God called us out of Texas, God's country, into this land. No, I'm just teasing. You know, but Abraham, seriously, he said, uh, God called him and said, come up out of the land of the earth, Chaldees, into a place that I will show thee. He didn't tell him, this is where you're going. He said, just, just follow me. And so we see that God has called us here uh, and, and given us many faithful examples through Scripture. Matter of fact, if you, if you keep going through Scripture, just as you remind yourself of some of these, these uh, people that God's given us, it's Joshua. Uh, I thank the Lord for Joshua, one of my favorite Bible characters, because he faithfully led the Lord, uh, or fought, led the children of Israel, to follow God uh, as he led them into the promised land. And so here they were on, on just on the edge of the promised land, and Moses goes up to a mountain, and God calls Joshua to lead these people into the promised land. And the very first thing they do, they cross the Jordan, and then God says, all right, now circumcise them now that you're in enemy ter territory. Didn't make any sense, but Joshua said, okay, I'll do it. And I tell you, I'm just thankful for faithful men who have laid great foundations for us. His personal devotion for God. I often, how many of you have Joshua 24, 15 hanging up in your home? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All right, yes, many of us have that scripture. And, and we go back and we're reminded of this man's faithfulness. And, and the, he was very faithful. And we look at his life and we say, this is, the, this is a, a, a life that I want to pattern mine after. As for me in my house, as for me in the Bingham house, we want to serve the Lord. And so we, we see this. And so we see that God has called us to remain faithful. Uh, and if, if you fast forward a little further, 
uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the uh, greatest, most faithful prophets. He was known as the weeping prophet because of all the tragedies he faced. And yet he was faithful. Or Job, who lost it all and still he blessed the Lord. You see, God exemplifies faithfulness. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, he says this, Moreover, it is required of, in stewards that a man be found, what is it, church? Faithful. May God find us faithful. And so Paul here in verse number 17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk uh, so as you have, have uh, us for an example. And so he says, here's the first off, an ex- exhortation to follow. The word brethren is translated uh, to mean here that it talks about a fellow believer. It's talked about to stress the, that believers are united by a bond of affection. And so as he speaks to him, he says, brethren, my, my, the ones that I love, he says, be, now this word is good too because it's a command. And so he's commanding us here and he says, uh, be followers together. Followers together is, means literally an imitator of others. And so, so Paul, as he's speaking here, says, listen, brethren, he says, the ones that I love so dearly, he says, I, 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 I give you this command to, to imitate those who are worthy of being imitated. He uses himself as an example, but Paul was not being egotistical. He wasn't being proud or boastful. Remember, he was led of the Holy Spirit to, to write these words. And let me say that Paul was one of the greatest human examples that we have today. He was a, not only a great missionary, but he was a great pastor. He was a great soul winner. He was a great Christian. He, he discipled. He loved. He encouraged. And he, he literally walked what he taught. He was a great example for us. And so Paul says, be followers of me. Be followers together of me. It was not uncommon, though, for Paul to tell believers and tell his readers to follow his example. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. In the scripture here, he says, Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Or Acts chapter 20 and verse number 32 says, And now, brethren, I command you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And so he says, listen, follow me. Follow after my, uh, my leadership and follow my example. An exhortation here to follow. But he also talks about a pattern. There's a pattern we can follow in our Christian life. And let me just say that I feel blessed to be a part of of a church where I've been able to see a consistent and faithful pattern that went before me. Thank the Lord for Pastor Tolbert, uh, who for 35 years stood uh, behind the pulpit of Hillside Baptist and faithfully preached the Word of God. He didn't didn't deviate the different fads of of the day. He just stayed faithful in the Word of God. And I thank the Lord for that. And so as we come here, he says, listen, not just be followers of me, but mark them which also, uh, which walk so as you have, have us for an example. He says, listen, if you see someone who's also following a faithful example, mark them as well. They're one to fix your eyes upon. This word mark means to, to look at or observe or to contemplate or fix your eyes upon. And so Paul is encouraging the believers to look uh, to those who uh, are in, in Paul's absence, who, the, who are there present faithfully leading in a faithful example. Man, what a blessing uh, in churches today to see faithful people. People with, uh, you know, they're they're like Jesus with skin on today. 
Our church has been blessed with a godly heritage. I'm thankful not only for Pastor Tolbert, for those early believers who paved the trail for us to follow. I remember Sister Virginia Arnell, uh, Brother Corey's grandmother back here. And Sister Virginia, she was one of our charter members. And, and for how many years was, was uh, she a member total? Do you remember, Brother Corey? I can't remember yet either. But from 1971, when the church was, uh, began and was chartered, she faithfully attended and participated in the services at Hillside Baptist Church. Never once deviated. I thank the Lord for, uh, that she was willing to serve as our uh, secretary until she physically could not carry the load any longer. I'm thankful for members like Sister Jean Overholster who continue, even until she couldn't make it to church any, anymore, continue just to sing and to bless our congregation with a message and song. I'm thankful for our faithful Sunday school teachers who continue to minister and to reach out to others for many years. I, I was thinking about this this afternoon and I thought about the, the different ones that serve in our church and some have literally served for over 20 years in our church. And I thank the Lord for their faithfulness. Our walk today can be guided by those faithful believers. We look at them and we see their example. And Paul says, mark them. Fix your eyes upon their example and follow after it. That's the desire here. And so as we see that those who are living out Jesus Christ before us, let's continue to follow. But we also see here a warning in verse number 18. For many walk, of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And so he's telling us then not just to follow the faithful, but also to flee from the foe. When Paul arrived in Philippi, he was, had already planted several churches. This was not his first time to spread the gospel. And he'd seen in that time how quickly Satan could come and mount a counterattack to anything and everything that God was doing. And so he saw uh, he, what had happened in Antioch. He saw what had happened uh, to those in Jerusalem. And he had to, hey, as a matter of fact, he was even part of that uh, in Jerusalem where they helped to make sure that they got the doctrine right regarding Gentile believers. And so he knew that it wouldn't take long before even the church of Philippi uh, had false uh, teachers come in and try to deceive and draw them away. And, and so I can't uh, just praise the Lord enough that God has given us a warning here, even in Philippians, uh, that, uh, that, that we should be aware of, that there are some examples to avoid. There are some people we must watch out for. And Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 reminds us of these examples. He calls them enemies of the cross. These foes that Paul uh, speaks of here, and these are our warning about, are, were not openly evil. They, they didn't say, yeah, I'm a bad guy, or yeah, I'm teaching false doctrine. But instead, what we see is that uh, they were covertly trying to disguise themselves to appear spiritually sound. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, he says this, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the, into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Paul didn't delight in telling them this. He wasn't saying, man, look at them, I got another one. But he says now, even weeping in verse number 19, or verse number 18, he says, and now tell you even weeping. His heart was broken over this. He wept over those who were the enemies of the cross and the enemies of the gospel. And listen, he had a real uh, Christ-like heart and spirit as he dealt with these. 
He desired that they would truly be saved. He wasn't sad because of the destruction they caused. He wasn't just sad for anything except for the fact that they'd rejected the truth and they were, uh, they were cast under, uh, under uh, they were just greatly deceived. And so Paul wept. He, he desired for their salvation. Now, I, I thought that this was odd, that in the middle of Philippians, a, a book that is filled with the joy of the Lord, that he would say the one thing he weeps over is lost souls. Christian, do we still weep over lost souls? Do we still care that around us, those in, who are riding in our nation uh, are probably lost and without hope today? That those who were murdered during that time were people who probably took their last breath here and opened their eyes in hell? Do we realize that, that the seriousness of this, and Paul says, listen, I weep over them. I'm, I, my heart is broken for them. And so I, God just in, encourages us here. He says, be careful and avoid but pray, church, pray. We see there's some exploits in verse number 19. Then he says, watch out. Be careful, avoid these things. Verse number 19, he says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Paul mentions that the exploits of these were bad examples. Uh, he mentions them and he points them out and he says, listen, this is really the end result. This is really what's, what's going on, that these people, these people that are coming in and they're trying to subvertly convert people into their uh, dis deception, he says, their dis end is destruction. Their God is their belly. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 5 says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, he says, from such withdraw thyself. You see, because their glory is in their shame, not in, their, not in God. Their mindset is on the earthly things, not on the godly. This word translated destruction also is translated other places, perdition. And so this is the same word then that Jesus used to describe Judas Iscariot as the son of perdition. It's the same word that was used the first time in the New Testament, and the first time it was used in Matthew 7, 13. It says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And it's no wonder that we're admonished here to flee this foe. And God says, listen, let me exhort you, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand, Ephesians 6.13. And so in this day and age, we see a growing number of wolves that mix in with the sheep. And we must continue to emphasize not only the need for to study the truth of the Word of God, but the realities that God has called us to in the future. Let's focus on the future very quickly. If we're going to have our life guided by the Lord, we must be willing to focus on what He has for us ahead. Listen, the devil and his cohorts were devising plans to get people to reject the gospel. And their thought was, let's, let's go to them and say that there is no God. I tell you, it is a, it's, a, it's a dangerous time in which we live. I, I was just reminded of just an example that I had read. You know, you ever read those things that this could happen? You know, maybe this happened in heaven, heaven I don't know. But there was a, a group of devils that got together and they were trying to get, figure out how to get people to, to reject Christ and reject the gospel so that they could get them into their clutches. And, and they said, hey, let us, let us go and say that there is no God. And one of them said, no, that's not going to work. Because the devil knew that people believe in a supreme being. It's obvious. 
And so someone else piped up and said, well, let's tell them there's no hell and no future punishment for the wicked, no, no need for salvation. And that was turned down because obviously uh, there's consequences which tell them that sin must be punished. And so it just, it, it just wasn't going to work. And so finally they said, well, listen, tell them there is a, there is the word, uh, a God. Tell them that there is a hell. Tell them that there is a heaven. And tell them that the, they must decide between what they were going to do, what they will do with Jesus. But let them postpone, let them neglect the gospel until it's too late. Of course, at that point, they knew this was the answer because they know whenever we procrastinate, we'll never follow through. And so God calls us. He says, listen, focus on the future. Focus on, those, on the heavenly things here in verse number 20. Verse 20 says, for our conversation, our life is in heaven. This is the Greek word means a manner of living, this conversation. And so it's, it's translated from the word polytomia, which means uh, the administration of civil affairs or of a commonwealth or the commonwealth of citizens. And so literally the idea is our, uh, our lifestyle is connected to our citizenship, which is heaven. As a believer, I'm not a citizen of the United States. I'm a citizen, citizen of heaven. I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm excited that my citizenship is there. Listen, this was a time when citizenship was highly prized. You know, everybody can get citizenship today. Come across the border illegally, I bet we can figure out a way to get it for you. But in, to be a Roman citizen was a highly prized and sought out thing. Many, many people would pay great sums of money to be able to be a citizen. Many people were, uh, were men like Paul who enjoyed the rare privilege of being a Roman citizen by birth. He was far more proud, though, not of his Roman heritage as his, his heavenly heritage. What a great blessing it is that our citizenship is in heaven. Maybe a better way to say that it is as an American, I have dual citizenship. Amen. I, I'm proud to be an American. I'm thankful for that. But I'm looking forward to being home. I'm looking forward to being in heaven. Our life is called to reflect the destination to where we're headed. Does your life reflect your citizenship? Are your, are your daily living, your daily res, uh, actions and responsibilities, do they res, res, reflect where you belong? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. In, this, uh, in these verses, we see Abraham's life. He was called out of his homeland, and he chose by faith to, to dwell in the land of promise. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called out to go into a place which he should, uh, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was so concerned about just working and, saw, uh, and following the Lord by faith, he wasn't looking for an earthly kingdom or tabernacle. He was looking for that heavenly. What's your focus today? I'm thankful for the homeland we have. I'm thankful for America. I'm thankful for the place where I get to live temporarily. But I tell you, I am more looking forward to the day when I get to be in my heavenly home. And when our faith in Christ dominates our walk, what we see is we have a focus on those heavenly things. And the things of this world just seem to lose their appeal. 
Paul wrote to the, book, uh, to the church in Colossae, he said in, in Colossians 3, 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Right now, we are pilgrims. We're strangers in this world. We're, we're like in a foreign land, but I tell you, this world is not our final home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. God calls us His ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're never to forget, even for a moment, where our citizenship lies. And this thought will help us to determine what we say, where we go, how we respond, what we believe, how we uh, behave, even how we invest our talents, what pleasures we permit in our, our lives, what we do with our money, how we treat other people. It uh, affects everything in our life, including our worship, our service, our Bible study, and our prayer. That's what it should affect. Focus on this future glorification. Ooh, man, I'm ready. In verse 20, verse, the last part, part of verse 20, he says, From whence, talking about heaven, also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. He says, listen, there's an anticipated coming. The first time Christ came, He was adorned with a crown of thorns. This next time when He comes, it will be a glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see Him full of uh, glory and full of power. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11 says, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here, uh, stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as we have seen Him go into heaven. His return really is going to be two parts. The first one, to meet us in the air. Boy, I'm ready for the shout, amen? I'm ready for that day. I can't wait. I think it's any day now, any moment I'm expecting that. And I'm looking forward to it. And, I, and I, I, I've just got to make sure my neighbor gets all my keys. Just kidding. I, when I was in college, I had this great neighbor. And he, he came by one day, and he had just moved in. And he says, he says, Brother, he said, I need to get you a set of all my keys and, and, a, and a, uh, get you a copy of the title of my truck. And said, he said, I want you to know, know that when that rapture happens, you can have all of it. I said, well, I can't do anything with it either. I said, I'll take it now instead. But he didn't go for that. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 reminds us of this. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Man, we're looking forward to that day. We can't wait for the rapture of the church. But then there's a second part. And in the second part, he will return to this earth to rule and to reign for a thousand years. What a glorious time that's going to be. When Jesus Christ comes and sets his feet on this earth the second time, what a glorious thing it's going to be to see him in his glory. We're going to be with him. If you're a, called, uh, if you're a born again believer, the Bible says that you will join him in that moment and you will see his glory. And what an awesome thing to see the armies of the world defeated, not by our might, not by our strength, but by His might. What an awesome thing. There's a great change that's going to happen. Matter of fact, in verse number 21, he talks about the change. And, and we see this also played out in, in the book of Corinthians. as He says this earthly body of this tabernacle. And he's talking about the change that's going to happen. And it, and it looks with this, cares with this idea of, earnestly, uh, of earnestness and care as we look forward to that change. And he says in verse 21, who shall change our vile body that it may be, may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. What a glorious thing. No longer will we have to contend with the presence of sin. We will be saved from that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 52 and 53 says, In a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. What a glorious thing. What a wonderful thing as we as Christians desire to walk with the Lord today. May we be looking forward to that day and let it guide us and steer us, knowing that God is in control. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21, I remind you, he says, Who shall change our vile body? that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby he is, even, he is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. General Wainwright was left in, the char- in charge of the American and Filipino forces in the Philippines when General MacArthur was ordered to Australia during World War II. Wainwright was captured and placed on the island of uh, Corregidor in a, in a prison camp, and really, as he was there, he began to lose hope. MacArthur had heard of his predicament and he sent special forces to let him know that he would return and soon the battle would be won. And as soon as he heard this news, Wainwright began to eat again. He shined his buttons up on his uniform, he polished his boots, and he prepared himself with, ex- with the expectancy of MacArthur's re- uh, coming. How, what a great picture this is. The Christians in the first century, they knew with, beyond, and with all, all their heart, they anticipated that Christ was soon coming. And nearly two millennia later, here we are in the same place, and I can't help but stand before you and proclaim, it's coming soon, are you ready? The Lord's return is imminent. It, it, it's, it, I know within my heart it is soon. My heart burns within me of this truth that it is, it, the, the day is upon us. We've seen the rebirth of the state of Israel. We've seen the rise of Israel, uh, Russia. We've seen the coming together of the European nation. We've seen the spread of atheism and humanism. We've seen a falling away, a growing delusion. We've seen a toleration of sinful, deviant behaviors. We've seen apostasy in the church. We've seen widespread famines and even pandemics. And I'm telling you, these signs remind us to be ready. Are you ready? Are you looking for His return? Oh, what a glorious thing when He calls. So I encourage you, don't lose hope in the midst of your daily battle. Don't lose hope in the midst of your walk. Don't give up in the midst of everything. Don't lose faith because Christ is coming again one day. And so keep living for Him and trust that He will be your guide. Just as that three-star general, General Wainwright, was comforted in the expectance expecting appearance of of General MacArthur, so we can take comfort in the fact that Christ is soon returning. Are you ready? Are you living? Are you ready? First off, prepare by accepting Jesus as your Savior. There's no greater thing than to put your faith in Him. God offers salvation to all men. And I look in our room and I think... I think, man, what a great opportunity for believers to be encouraged tonight. But maybe you're not, maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And God offers for you tonight an opportunity. Don't leave here without Him. Christian, let's prepare. It's coming. Make sure you have crowns that are awaiting you in heaven. Boy, how dreadful it would be to stand before the Lord empty-handed. And so let's be preparing for that day even now.